Comics. Comics. Welcome to ORP, otherwise known as Omen Revelations Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Nunley. And I'm your co-host, uh, Steve Sellers. On ORP, we like to talk about geek stuff, pop culture, including movies and TV series, as well as comic books and comic characters. Uh, but that's not all, is it, Mike? No, it's not, Steve. We're also writers for Omen, Omen Comics and Revelation Comics. So we like to talk about both writing and our comics. So podcast and chill with us. Welcome to our inaugural Creator Spotlight episode, where once per month, Steve and I will invite a fellow comic book creator onto ORP to talk about what they do, how they do it, and of course, what inspired them to take the arduous journey of creating comics. Uh, today, our first guest is Dan Sicaro, the editor-in-chief and one of the creators in the Mythiverse, and the writer-creator of Adobe Kroger and Molly Beans. Uh, you can find him on Twitter uh, under the handle at Dan Sicaro. That's uh, S-A-C-H-A-R-O-W And check out his work on MythiverseComics.com So, Dan, um, I want to get into the Mythiverse But uh, before we do, uh, why don't you say hello and uh, tell us a bit about yourself Hi, yes, uh, Dan Sacro here And uh, Editor-in-Chief of Mythiverse Comics And uh, first and foremost, I am very glad to be here Thanks for having me uh, A little bit about myself uh, as, as you mentioned, I am the Editor-in-Chief of Mythiverse Comics But... Uh, I am predominantly and uh, always will be a writer and artist in, in my own right, and I have been ever since I was three years of age when I was drawing Battlestar Galactica fan fiction. And uh, wow, that I, goes back a ways. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm talking the OG Battlestar Galactica, the the '70s one. Yeah, that that's mm -hmm. when I got started. So. Yeah. All right. Anyway, so yeah. Needless to say, it's been a part of my important part of my life since uh, I had conscious memory. So, how I ended up doing this is not too much of a stretch. I would have probably ended up doing it anyway, regardless. So, um, by day I am a software engineer, but by night I do write and I do draw and I do take care of uh, the business end of the Mythiverse and help a whole bunch of creators uh, release their realize their creative visions. Uh, by doing the stuff that um, most artists would rather not do, the boring day-to-day -day stuff that uh, helps get people's creations into the hands of readers. So, um, Primarily, um, these days, I write more than I draw. Uh, I did, I did uh, do uh, a couple of different web comics over the years. Uh, the uh, aforementioned Molly Beans, of course is my most recent one and one that's still near and dear to my heart and I hope to one day be able to bring that back in some form but um, these days I mostly write. Uh, I write uh, Adobe Kroger Dame Commander, uh, the Adobe Kroger novel series starting with Knight Errant and um, a couple of uh, short stories uh, that I put out in audio format uh, for our patrons and uh, a number of other little things that I that are still uh, in the works most recently, of course, is our racing manga Triple Crown, which uh, tells the story of young Skip Sparks in her quest to become the greatest race car driver of all time. 
so a lot of stuff going on here, uh, a lot of fun stuff. Uh, get to work with a lot of uh, really creative people on all ends of the spectrum, writers and artists and voice uh, voice actors. So I can't complain. I've, I lead a pretty full creative life at the moment. I, I, I can relate with that. I, I do a lot of the I do all the business end stuff for for Omen Comics and uh, I do spend most of my time uh, working in the creative universe there. So so I'm, I'm feeling where you're coming from there. It's um, fulfilling. It's definitely fulfilling. It is. It is. It, it, it is hard work, but it's 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 not necessarily work at the same time when you're doing what you love, you know? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I cannot agree more. Um, so let's get into the Mythiverse a little bit. Um, from what I've looked up, um, the Mythiverse, uh, Mythiverse Comics is a creator-owned shared universe founded by you, uh, Brett McGowan, and uh, Matt Trin. Uh, you guys started out uh, as a group of three creators that uh, pooled your resources, uh, talents, and IPs uh, into what became the Mythiverse. But how did you all meet and, and decide to combine your works into a shared universe? Oh, that's uh, I always love telling this story. And thanks for asking that specific question because it gives me an opportunity to tell it. <laughs> so anyway, uh, back in uh, back in 2018 or so, there was uh, th that big explosion of um, indie uh, comics crowdfunds, you know, starting with, um, you know, Diversity in Comics launched uh, Jawbreakers, Nathan Van Skyver launched uh, Cyberfrog, and a whole bunch of other people started doing the same. And um, a lot of folks came out in support of these books and kind of found each other on Twitter and uh, a number of other, you know, independent creators uh, that were also running crowdfunds. Um, began networking with one another, and uh, the most prominent one at that time at our our level of uh, of the uh, comics Twitter was Cody Fernandez, uh, himself the creator of a fantastic series um, called Jack Irons. If you're unfamiliar, you need to check it out. It's it's fantastic. But um, he was one of those people that, um, like us, he 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 was the writer, but he also uh, was responsible for the business end of the deal which meant he was a one-man hype machine in addition to creating the comics. So he spent a lot of time on all different kinds of social media platforms, shilling his heart out, trying to get people excited about Jack Irons. And um, one of the consequences of that was he got put in Twitter DM jail. Uh, in other words, his account was limited and he could not um, uh, send direct messages to anybody because he was on so many group chats um, you know, promoting this book for all he was worth. So... I felt bad for him. I said, you know, I still want you to be able to talk to everybody. So here, why don't I set up a Slack channel uh, and all of us that are in these group DMs, we all hop in here and, and continue talking to Cody and he can give us updates on where his book is. And um, everyone seemed excited about that idea at the time. Um, I sent out the invite to about a dozen people, uh, like four or five people showed up, um, one of which was Cody very briefly, uh, then Matt and Brett and uh, another friend of ours named Tank. And um, a couple of the folks accepted the invitation, but the only ones that ended up staying were Matt, Brett, and Tank. So we just ended up hanging out in that uh, in that Slack channel. And uh, Matt and Brett um, were both working on ideas of their own. Uh, Matt was uh, working on Mythics, and Brett was working on Changeling. Um, and um, they found uh, by talking to one another about their books, that they would fit together in a in a shared universe because they both had similar they were both of the same genre the urban fantasy genre, and they were both set in the modern day and they both had uh, characters that were 
derivative of, you know, ancient mythology brought into the modern day. So they said, hey, what if we made a shared universe out of this? And um, between them, they came up with the idea uh, of joining the stories. And uh, I believe it was Matt who coined the term mythiverse, though I could be wrong. I think that's how it went. And at the time I was in there and um, I had already at that point uh, written Adobe Kroger and I air it and published it in audiobook form and all that. And I was already about four or five pages into a Dane Commander number one. And they approached me like, would you like to join this this universe? And I said, well, hmm, let's have a look at your scripts and see if you need to do any any tweaking. It turned out we really didn't. Um, the only the only thing that really <laughs> the only thing that really needed to be changed was um, was to make sure that all of our timelines lined up, like what years they were taking place in, and how to make them all fit together. And just wow, like they, that, they really all just fit together like that, just just naturally how they came. Yeah. Yeah, because um, interestingly enough, they were all set in and around the same era, uh, like the the recent past. Like Dame Commander takes place in 2012, uh, Mythics takes place initially in 20 and 2007, and Changeling uh, a few years after Dame Commander. So we actually uh, sat down and said, let's make sure we, that everything all lines up, and uh, make sure the events that uh, cross over all line up chronologically. And that was really all it took. Um, wow. The fact that um, Mythics um, fit perfectly with Dame Commander, given like the nature of the political landscape between the, the, the mystical factions was just, it was amazing how easily that, that slipped into place. So yeah, that, that's basically how it all started. We just uh, had ideas that fit together and we said, hey, you know, strength in numbers, let's promote each other and uh, see if we can get any, some people excited about this. So that was how we planned our first campaign was all three books. And uh, we did pretty well. Uh, we got, you know, a little over 120 backers or so, I believe it was, and a little over 6,200 for all three of our books. And uh, we, we got that all taken care of and the uh, rest of this history. Um, the community got launched because we sent out Discord invites to all the backers and uh, we're just spread from there. Wow. Wow. That's... Um... That's that's pretty impressive. Um, I I honestly uh, I wouldn't have imagined that your your three worlds just fit like that. It was just a, a chronological issue as opposed to a continuity or or a story issue. Like I I love how it all just fit. Like it was all meant to be together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was serendipity. Um, so. Um, so uh, the Mythiverse itself, um, it's uh, pretty heavily steeped in Western folklore, mythology, and uh, tradition. And as mm -hmm. you said, you guys started out um, with uh, three titles. Um, uh, and you, you, even, you even recently added, add, started adding other creators, uh, offering side stories uh, based in that shared universe. Mm -hmm. um, but the Mythiverse's very first uh, book... What was uh, your Adobe Kroger Dame Commander book? Um, why don't Why don't you tell us a bit about that series? Sure. Um, so uh, the Adobe Kroger uh, storyline takes place in a in, in a reality in which the twelve peers of Charlemagne, as well as Charlemagne himself, were actual magic wielding paladins. They weren't just you know what that archetype was based off of they literally were that archetype so they wielded actual holy magic against eldritch horrors and as a result of their their military conquest against these ancient horrors which were in essence counterattacks 
against uh, the endless depredations of demonic entities. Um, th this holy order, which came to be known as the Order of the Carolingian Cross, over time began to encompass the entirety of the globe in a clandestine fashion. So ever since uh, Charlemagne, uh, 1200 years ago, um, the Order of the Carolingian Cross has come to govern all of humanity's affairs, although humanity is unaware of this fact. The, they, they defend us from the shadows, so to speak. And um, fast forward to the present day, it is now 2012 at the beginning of Dame Commander, and Adobe Kroger is the one of the newest recruits of this ancient order of holy knights who um, have essentially uh, outlawed the use of unauthorized use of magic and consorting with demonic entities is uh, is practically a capital crime. So it's become over time, uh, or especially over the past 50 or 60 years, it's become um, somewhat of a, a fascistic order. Um, but it still serves its purpose, keeping humanity safe from the likes of Cthulhu and his friends. Okay, <laughs> let's put it like that. I could not necessarily Cthulhu himself, but uh, ancient entities of that of that nature. They are the first and last line of defense against that. So, whenever magic is detected as being used outside the uh, the the permission or purview of the Order of the Carolingian Cross, it is summarily sought down, and you are either asked to join in quotes or you are put down in quotes so the story opens up with adobe being assigned to investigate um, a demonic cult that has kidnapped a group of innocent girls and that's all she knows about it at that time uh, the, the her mission begins so it was her responsibility to plan this raid uh, with um, a wizard under the employ of the order of the carolingian cross by the name of casey crumb and a non-magical combat expert named Reese Connolly, who is a Myrmidon um, of the gifted class, which means he himself is descended from the union of a human and a fae. So he has uh, some wild talents that we would call superpowers. Think of him as John Wick with superpowers, essentially. Mm. Okay. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> as scary. If, as, if, <laughs> as if John Wick doesn't already have superpowers. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, yeah, Reese Connolly basically, uh, because of his Fey heritage, he has a fully circular 360 degree field of vision, so you cannot sneak up on him. He can read his opponents uh, with the skill of like a character like uh, the Taskmaster from the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. uh, so he, it's very difficult to to defeat in a fight because he is he can very readily understand what you're about to do. And once a minute or so, depending on how much he has exerted himself, um, he's able to move in very brief, like quarter of a second bursts of hypersonic speed. So imagine if John Wick could immediately outflank you, you can't sneak up on him, and he, you know, and add all those skills to someone with the with that much uh, combat ability, and you have Reese Connolly. Um, Casey Crum is an unusually talented wizard in that she has mastered uh, two different schools of of the mystic arts typically a wizard in this universe can master one over the course of their life but she is unusually gifted wizard and hence why she caught the eye of and is under the employ of the order of the carolingian cross now adobe kroger who is a brand new recruit at this time um this is essentially her very first foray into combat and her inexperience sort of gets her into trouble in addition to 
a speech impediment, which plays heavily into her character. She is a stutterer, and in order to use their powers, paladins must vocalize their intent with an incantation of their choosing. However, if you stutter, well, it can stop you from being able to do that. So that gets her into trouble a, a number of times throughout issue one and the follow-up issue two and an issue three. Um, and that's an ongoing thing that she has to that she has to fight with. But she is a young holy knight. She has the ability to make herself um, faster, stronger. She can project shields onto herself and to her compatriots when her stutter doesn't get in the way. And she has um, enchanted weaponry that um, you know is many times more substantial and effective than normal weaponry. And um, she's just thrown into the situation, whether she's ready for it or not. And uh, that that is issue one. We are learning along with her. We're going on this journey with her as she tries to come to terms with her limitations and her holy duty. Well, so, that's really fairly fascinating. Um, I, I'm particularly interested in the whole holy night angle of this. And uh, particularly, I've noticed that um, you're drawing a lot on mythic history and legends. Um, in the backstory, and that comes especially um, with the legends of the peers of Charlemagne and the Order of the Carolingian Cross. Mm -hmm. And that backstory definitely seems to be very important to the story of Adobe, as you've already pointed out in, in really excellent detail. Um, mm -hmm. What is it about the matter of France and the Charlemagne legend that drew you to explore it? And what kind of research do you typically do for it? Uh, extent, that's a very, very good question. Um, I, I tend to research my subject matter very, very thoroughly to the point where you know how you need to know the rules before you can break them. Mm -hmm, um, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, so I definitely wanted to become as familiar with, uh, the, you know, the story of Charlemagne and, you know, the Song of Roland and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that I could faithfully, as possible, recreate it while also breaking all the their narrative rules of that story mm -hmm. and, of, and of the real man and all of that. The reason I, I chose um, Charlemagne to be the, the launching off point um, is who is a very good example of the, martial, the, the martial might of, you know, the Christian holy empire uh, as it, you know, did battle with the Saracen hordes and all of that. But I wanted to um, have that be sort of like uh, in our universe, it was more or less a cover story for what actually happened where he wasn't, this, he wasn't, he was a, at that time also uh, battling the Saracen hordes. But what mm -hmm. he was actually doing was wielding um, a mighty, holy, magical army against the likes of eldritch abominations like Yog sothoth and Cthulhu and other such powerful right. things. And the truth was concealed to prevent them from ever being able to return. So magic was suppressed. Um, there, were, there were actual demons and dragons and what have you back then. Um, but they did their best to not only defeat the defeat them, but to suppress all memory of these beings, because if the world ever became aware of them again, it would endanger the world with their return. So um, history was kind of um, running in parallel, you might say. And, and to understand how I can make that fit, I had to become very familiar with the actual history of mm -hmm. Charlemagne the Man and, and the legends. And, you know, the Song of Roland is just beautiful. I love that. Um, mm -hmm. And I studied that a lot. And the characters, and I did as much research as I could into each of the 12 peers, because all of them will be important uh, later on as Adobe continues through her story and discovers more of the truth behind the nature of the, the world of the Mythiverse. 
Um, that sounds excellent. Yes. Um, I've I've actually read the the first uh, the first two issues of the of the prequel comic you you got there. Um, mm-hmm. And I have I have a couple of questions. I, I I'm dying to ask about them, and I hope that you can uh, you can answer them without spoiling anything. Um, I I noticed that uh, Adobe uses uh, German words for mm-hmm. her uh, I don't know light casting for for lack of a better phrase. Yes. Uh, and and uh, the uh, the giant uh, has Nordic runes on his knife. Um, I took that as saying that those mythologies, like the North and German mythologies, are are a part of what is happening there, and 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 maybe even the giants are Jotuns. Uh, did I get that right? Um, well, yes, that that is that is actually what it is, and um, that's not really spoiling anything necessarily for this reason. Um, the the way that I established the the nature of the mythiverse as a whole, and we have a kind of like what you might call a living document that's being written right now called Spiritus Poetica, which um, I ambitiously have called our Cimmerillion. <laughs> but uh, you know that that's just so people understand what I'm trying to do with it. Not necessarily that I think it's anywhere close to the level of quality of Tolkien, but. Um, basically, I'm just trying to explain the the history of our universe. And all all mythoses exist, and they're all consistent, and they don't contradict one another because of the nature of the universe that we're building here. So all the Norse gods, all the Egyptian gods, all of the uh, the Greek gods, they've all existed, and they they're all real, and they don't their existence doesn't contradict one another because they they're all basically created by the beliefs of those peoples. So. You're speaking our language. Uh, we deal a lot with the similar things. <laughs> Wonderful. That that's cool. So so you know what I'm trying to accomplish here. Yeah, so yeah. Um, so yeah. So to answer your question, German is one of my favorite uh, languages. That is obviously not the one I speak. Um, I've visited uh, Switzerland, um, and I dearly would love to live there one day, if at all possible. And they speak German over there, and. Um, I just love the sound of it. I love I love the the, the history of the German people. And um, like Adobe says in the novel, uh, she picked it for her incantations because it just sounds so aggressive and it's hard to find a language that packs more punch. So when she's really in the heat of battle and she and she needs to growl something, German just fits. Well, not to mention the character's name is German. Yes, there you go. Yeah, not a coincidence, yeah. I would assume. No, no, it's not a coincidence, but um, it's subtle. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Yeah, I I do got to ask one more question about the Casey character. Okay. Um. Okay. I I can't help but notice that she's using a hoe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she that is seems like a- an odd wizard staff. So I'm guessing there's some kind of story behind why she uses it. Could you uh, elaborate that on a, a little bit without spoiling anything? Yes, of course, of course. Well, first of all, she's a hoe. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, no. Um, the the reason she's wielding a hoe is because she's forced to. Um, that's kind of subtly foreshadowing what I will be revealing over the next couple of issues. Is that wizards, especially wizards like Casey, are essentially indentured servants uh, to the Order of the Carolingian Cross, um, and they are not treated very well. And because they are seen as ways in which um, all of those demonic entities that the order was created to vanquish can return um, because they 
the distinction that the paladins make uh, between themselves and wizards, and this is actually in their in their oath uh, of service that they are taught and that they recite to one another. Uh, we do not impose our will on the world. Uh, we, we enact the will of God. Um, and wizards are the ones who impose their will on the world, and they see that as dark and evil. Um, paladins uh, act, have God act through them. Wizards seek to impose their will on the world. So that's something that they do not allow uh, unless they have full control over it. So a wizard um, like Casey Crum might have a, a master who um, just wants to kind of add insult to injury and force them to focus their magic through a ridiculous object like a hoe. Just to like say, look, we have so much control over you. You can only use your power by holding this ridiculous gardening tool. <laughs> you know, wow. it's, it's kind of a power play. Yeah, interesting. Um, and and I will say this: uh, it seems like it really is interesting how all of you separately decided that you wanted to focus on uh, three female leads uh, with Adobe Kroger, Elthea Fletcher, and Maeve McKinnon. But at the same time, they're all very different characters who add something distinct to the universe, which is nice as well. Um, to what extent was this a conscious decision by you and your collaborators? And to what extent was it okay? This is cool. Let's just throw it together. Um, the fact that we all had female leads was a coincidence. Um, they had all they were all pre-existing the mythiverse. They, but um, the fact that they were all very distinct characters that sort of grew as we learned more about one another's characters. Um, we have a strip called uh, Mythuchibis that we put up on Patreon, and it's also available in collected form there. And we kind of exaggerate their different character traits in that comic as chibi parodies. Um, Elthea is is a detective. She's like um, she's like the Sherlock Holmes of of the trio. Uh, Dobie is um, more of a uh, what you'd call a man of action, where she male, so she'd be more like the Watson, like slightly less intelligent, but uh, you call her in when you need to get things blown up. Like Watson, please avail yourself of your service revolver. You know, once I figured it out, like we got to go bust some heads now. So you call Adobe and um, Maeve is the um, well, she's the innocent. She's 14 years old and she's still coming into her own. So she's kind of the one that they seek to protect. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious. Um, I noticed that. Uh, uh, you guys, uh, see, you guys offer not just web comics, but comic books and novels. Uh, you mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. but you you even have a coloring book along with your with your audio book, which I thought was pretty cool. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I I don't know of any other independent comic universes uh, that are offered in comic that are offered as a comic book in prequel form uh, and as a novel and as an audio book uh, as well. Uh, I'm curious. Um, the Adobe Kro the Kroger story was uh, written as a novel first, and then made into an audiobook. Um, was it the joining of the shared universe uh, that inspired you to make the prequel story in a comic book form, or was that something you would like you had always planned on doing? Um, I had um, I had always planned on doing a comic in some form, but that was not until after I had completed the audiobook, and I said. In the audiobook, in the novel, um, she mentions her previous adventures that led her to her current state in, in the novel. And I said, what would be a good way to tell that story? And I, at that time, I was still doing a webcomic, uh, Molly Beans, and I, I was, I was always wanted to publish an actual comic book of my own. 
and I had never had the opportunity to do so until I bumped into Leandro Panganiban, who, who did the masterful artwork for Adobe Kroger Damian Commander. And I said, this guy is who I want to bring Adobe to life because I couldn't find any artist that was could either get her look right or was reliable or professional enough until I, I met Leandro online. Uh, I had actually gone through like four artists trying to find someone who could do it the right way. And and he was the the impetus behind that. So it was um, prior to the Mythiverse that I had begun making the comic. I had already um, gotten four or five pages complete uh, with Leandro by the time I decided to include it in the Mythiverse. Um, but I definitely think that adding it to the Mythiverse um, gave it a lot of rich narrative possibilities it might not have otherwise had. And and the fact that uh, we've had a bunch of uh, you know other creators expand upon um, Adobe's part of the world is definitely proof of that. I'm curious how you, how you go about that uh, process. Like, um, for instance, if if I was gonna if I was gonna bring somebody on to write in in inside the Omenverse, inside Omen Comics, I, I would be. I don't know, uh, leery for lack of a better word uh, about about letting somebody create in that. Um, how, how do you how do you how do you go about uh, something like that? Is that a complicated process or what? Uh, it it can be. Um, really, it all comes down to make uh, to they present their ideas, and if they happen to contradict something that I had planned or had established, then I just make sure that that's that's been changed. Um, I definitely understand why you'd be leery of it, uh, but but at the same time, you know, I'm just one guy, and Matt and Brett are just one guy. We have our ideas, we have plenty of ideas, but um, sometimes someone else might come up with a an angle or a story idea that wouldn't have occurred to us, and that inspires us to further expand our own ideas and um, also expands the world, um, and having that sort of hive mind working to make something like all the more rich and detailed it just kind of adds to the tapestry you can zoom out and see more detail that way you know what i'm saying right yeah um yeah i think we can definitely say that that's been true of us as well um i i appreciate how you've managed to work uh, with the mythoverse in so many different formats i'm from standard comics to web comics to prose and and i, I having done most of those things i, I can definitely appreciate the, the process that goes into that um, now, um, each medium has its own strengths and its own challenges, of course. And so, do you have a process for working out what should be a comic versus a prose story or a web comic or vice versa? Um, how do you decide um, how that works for you? Um, and what do you enjoy working in the most and why? Um, I would have to say that I absolutely enjoy working, you know, in prose because it gives me the most, uh, not only the most freedom, um, but also, you know, it allows for the quickest turnaround. <laughs> um, like, yeah, um, like, for like, for example, um, I believe I sent you a, a link to a couple of short stories um, called My Friend Page and Page on Film. And what I did there was it just struck me. Uh, I'm a huge fan of P.G. Wodehouse, and um, he has um, this, this absolutely hysterical series um, um, that – I guess you could just call it the Birdie, Wooster, and Jeeves series, sure. and it's a, and it's about um, this kind of affable but clueless um, socialite and his brilliant butler Jeeves and all the misadventures they get into. 
And so I said, you know what? I really love this series. It's public domain right now. So I could technically just, you know, write these two characters and make a new adventure with them set in the modern day if I wanted to. But why would I do that? He's already got it perfect. So I'll just take this concept and set it in the, in the 80s. So mm-hmm. I, I, I took those two characters and um, created Bethy and Paige. Uh, Paige was named Paige because of, you know, P.G. Woodhouse. Um, mm-hmm. Her name is Paige Wiseman. And I took I took that conceit of the affable uh, booby, I guess you could call, and uh, the, the the genius, and just made a couple short stories there. And because I was able to, you know, just sit down and write it and get it done in, in a weekend, you know, bam, I got this this whole new set of stuff I can put out to to readers. Comics, on the other hand, you know, have a bit longer of a turnaround. Like I can have a concept and and have the script done in a weekend, but obviously it can it will require like a month to get a full um, issue drawn, and that's if the artist can work uninterrupted. So it's very satisfying to to see it all come together. But sometimes I just like the expediency of prose, especially if I have a talented voice actor read it for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, that sounds great. Mm-hmm. So, um, what can you tell us uh, uh, about the uh, the other two uh, titles in in your initial launch? There, uh, Mythics by Matt Trin and uh, Changeling by Brett McGowan. Sure, I'll I'll do with Mythics first. Uh, Mythics is the story of um, another secretive uh, sect within the Mythiverse called the Mythic Order. And they um, predate recorded history, um, or at least written history, I should say. Um, now, Matt has uh, modeled uh, this mythic order after the Cunning Folk, uh, which was a, a sect in in the, in uh, Great Britain, uh, prehistory Great Britain, and uh, they were witch hunters. Um, so, in other words, they um, did not like um, the use of, uh, I guess you'd call it dark magic, and they themselves were, you know, mystical people. Uh, that would hunt the evil magic, and um, the in this order, the male, the men of the order were the storytellers and the knowledge keepers, and the the women were the field agents. So the the, the women would go out and hunt the uh, the witches, and the men would stay home and you know keep the knowledge and the lore. So what he did was he took this order and uh, put it in the modern day with uh, Elthea Fletcher as one of the I guess you'd call her a witcher, but she's not really a witcher necessarily because she doesn't just hunt witches. She just um, she goes out and makes sure that uh, dark entities are kept under control. And um, they are are given familiars, which are mystical beings that can take animal form uh, that help them to focus their magic. Now, the most interesting thing about this is it's set in a world where the use of magic is strictly regulated by the Order of the Carolingian Cross. Now, the mythics still have their duty to perform. They've been doing it since before Charlemagne formed the Order of the Carolingian Cross. So what do they do? Well, they they have to use as little magic as possible. So what this means is Elthea has to use her knowledge of creatures and their weaknesses and avoid using magic unless it's absolutely necessary, but she still has to do her job. So the fact that uh, magic is constantly being monitored by the by the the Knights of the Carolingian Cross is constantly a danger that she has to be made aware of, but she still goes out there and tries to maintain balance between the Fey Realm and our realm. So it's kind of like a mystery um, thriller series 
Um, it's not as heavily action oriented as Dame Commander. Dame Commander is more of like the closest thing to a cape book that the Mythiverse has. You know, Adobe is essentially a superhero. Um, Elfia is more of a, a detective, more like a street level detective. So I don't know, think of like a, a Jessica Jones type story where it's like a character close to the close to the streets. She's wise to how things operate and she has to be very clever about how she executes it. Um, Changeling, on the other hand, is more of a slice of life um, coming of age story with a supernatural twist like. Um, I don't know, like like Sabrina the Teenage Witch or Buffy the Vampire Slayer almost, but um, the character herself is a fey creature. Um, she doesn't know it at first. Uh, so she is a 14 year old uh, Christian girl who was raised, um, you know, in a religious household. And, uh, you know, she goes to church. She um, goes to school. She takes care of kitties at the at the uh, kitty rescue. She just does all the normal things that a young girl would do. And um, one day she realizes that she's actually a changeling, which is a uh, fey baby that's been swapped for a human baby. And she is a banshee, not a human. And how does she deal with this? Um, she's already socially awkward. She's already got a crisis of faith because she isn't sure if she believes in God. And now she's told that not only is God real, but he doesn't want you because you're not one of his children. You are a, a fey creature. So where does she belong? Like, uh, and that's 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 her conflict right now as it stands right now. Uh, in issue two, um, she actually goes back into Avalon to to meet her fey mother. And uh, what will happen then? Well, we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, we're about to fulfill that campaign. Uh, we had a successful campaign for that, and the artwork's nearly complete. Now I just got to letter that and uh, get it out to backers, and you'll see what happens. Oh, so that I sounds. Gotta, that, oh, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead. I, sorry, I gotta I gotta ask about this. I'm I'm. I'm I'm like I'm 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 building this world in my head. I'm I'm trying to imagine it, and um, I I gotta wonder if you if you're gonna tackle a subject or not. And that is, um, there seems to be a I don't know how else to describe it. A bit of uh, hypocrisy on the religious uh, sect of this, as far as uh, magic goes. Um, mm -hmm. It's like, well, we get to use it because we're associated with God, but you guys can't because you're not. Um, <laughs> like, they're both using magic, but somehow it's okay for one and not the other. Uh, is there going to be some kind of maybe rebellion or or something going on with that? Um, yes, if you've read the Adobe Kroger novel, that actually begins to happen. Um, ah. and it's, been, it's been brewing for a long time. It's just um, openly... Um, waging war against the Order of the Carolingian Cross is, you know, practically suicidal. They literally control everything. Um, that includes all the governments, all the military, everything. But uh, fourth generation warfare can work. And it's um, been demonstrated in the in the first Adobe Kroger novel and later in the second Adobe Kroger novel, which at this point is about 50% complete. Um, between everything else, I'm having a hard time getting back to it but um, i know exactly where it's going to end uh the next the next book as well so yes to answer your question there will be a rebellion and it actually does there actually is an attempt at, attempt at it in uh adobe kroger night errant the first novel ah that sounds there, pretty sweet 
Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. And it, it kind of goes into a little bit into um, the next thing I was going to ask, because uh, the factions of the Mythiverse are really, really interesting. Um, I think that comes across uh, with the Mythics and the Order of the Carolingian Cross. And I've noticed that the Mythics are very different from the Paladins, including their history and their methods. And they seem to be imposed in many other ways as well. Um, how important was it to uh, sort of give yourselves room uh, to carve out your own uh, corners of the Mythiverse? And um, having um, main characters with such completely different viewpoints as as, the, as uh, you have with uh, Althea and with uh, Adobe. Oh, great question! Thank you. Um, that it was very important that we um, have these two characters be as different as possible, because um, we don't want to tell the same story over and over again. We don't want to have the same arc take place over and over again, and we definitely want to show two sides to of the same coin and in order to in order to make the world as rich and, and living and breathing as possible um we can't just say like hey th this 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 faction's got it right this faction's got it wrong it's not necessarily that like um s some members of the order of the carolingian cross don't like the way things are going and they're trying to make things better they just don't know how and some members of the mythic order while they are definitely you know the underdogs they aren't they don't necessarily have all the answers either so um and and to the to the first point Elthia and adobe being so different is so important because they both represent kind of the extremes of each of their of their viewpoints whereas the the paladins um are essentially blunt instruments that seek to oppress not necessarily oppress but suppress um any unauthorized use of the resources that they use the mythic the mythics are also kind of like um you're unnecessarily cruel to them so let's try to understand them and it doesn't always work out sometimes evil is just evil and does have to be destroyed yeah it does seem very much like both of them are like the heroes of their own stories and yet they seem to be very very different now that's really really cool yep. um now uh i've also kind of noticed that you do the same thing like with art styles and formats within the mythoverse and like uh adobe kroger definitely seems to be like very western influenced uh visually um but at the same time it also seems like all uh, the rest all of you um tend to also embrace a certain amount of eastern influences i mean you've already talked about uh chibi in the web comics and so forth um and are there any particular manga or anime influences that you drew on uh, particularly uh as for myself i can definitely say one of my artistic heroes has always been Rumiko Takahashi. Um, mm. Ever ever since I was um, in my late teens, I've been a fan of her work. Uh, collected Ranman One Half, Rusei Yatsura, Meizani Koku. Uh, one of my favorite one-off stories was uh, One pa uh, Ten Pound Gospel. And I've I've always been impressed. Um, I've always been uh, impressed by how she can take any um, any genre and make it make it fun whether it's you know a story about a boxer who can't stop eating um and even even if you're not a fan of boxing you, you'll love that story um mm. a slice of life soap opera maison ikoku like a a, a full-blown uh fantasy uh comedy epic and um in inuyasha and all that stuff and i've admired her her ability to just make you care about any character no matter how ridiculous it is um in terms of uh, influences for um, uh, mythics, uh, Sherlock Holmes and uh, Poro factor very heavily into that. 
Um, and I know that um, Yu-Gi-Oh! was an influence of Brett's and uh, mm-hmm. a few others. Uh, Fully Cooley was another one. I meant to say that, not Yu-Gi-Oh! Fully Cooley uh, was one of the ones he frequently mentions. Um, and we've drawn uh, influences from all, all, all different sources. And I think that's why um, our stories end up having this kind of richness to them mm-hmm. because we um it's all necess- it's all about what it's all about effective storytelling and there's so much to learn from all different cultures in that regard yeah. like if you were to focus on manga the one thing that makes that work no matter what the genre is is that manga stories tend to be character driven rather than event driven so mm-hmm. rather than saying this happened then this happened then this happened um what you get in manga most of the time anyway is this character here who is this way feels this and does this because of this character trait and it's almost always done in a very relatable way and and that's why you can care about like a half dog demon as much as you (laughs) could care about like uh some teenager who's too shy to talk to the pretty girl you know you know, speaking of uh, teenagers, uh, one of the things that fascinates me about Changeling is that Maeve is a very different character from the other two, like we already talked about. Um, the thing is, she's a normal teenager who inherits a legacy she never asked for, and that's really, really interesting. Um, it just seems to be a book that's geared towards exploring the sense of alienation and adjustment that a lot of kids her age go through. And you already talked about how she struggles, you know, with being a uh, coming from a religious family and then finding out she has this legacy. So um, what is your uh, approach into uh, writing teens as opposed to adults, and how do you keep the way they sound believable? And how does Changeling, do you think, fit into that? Um, well, as for me personally, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a parent, so I just mm-hmm. listen to my kids. And I try, <laughs> and I try to um, – I try not to embellish my dialogue too much, speaking for myself with you know quippy one-liners. I just try to make the dialogue sound as naturalistic as possible. So a lot of my characters have verbal tics that they repeat over and over again. If you've read the Debbie Kroger novel, that's very apparent in her voice. And I did my very best to base a lot of what I heard, I made her say off of real conversations that I've had. So I just listen to people and try to make my characters sound like that. In the case of teenagers, I just listen to teenagers. Um, and, um, <laughs> and try to avoid like... Um, making everything they say be snarky or a reference because you know most most of the time people just talk like people and people can tell when you're when you're when you're punching it up just a little bit too much try Um, not to sound like a joss whedon character (laughs) exactly yeah i I tried to avoid using whedonisms but yes that's exactly right um so yeah it all just comes down to like listening to how people talk and um trying to be honest about it and if um like adobe is in particular, um, there were certain parts of, of her dialogue, especially in the novel, that if I had tried to write this without basing it on a real conversation I've had, I don't think I think it would have come off insincere. So that's really it all comes down to honesty and uh, doing your best to portray them as real people rather than mouthpieces to show how clever you are. <laughs> yeah, I can totally yeah. understand that. Um, you were going to say, Mike? Yeah, um, I. I... I was going to change the subject if you were going to, if you were, if you had something to add there. Uh, no, uh, not really. I, I, I happened to, I happened to notice, um, 
and, and we were even asked about this uh, by Wicked Publishing when we were first talking about signing with them, uh, that that our, our universes actually have a couple of things in common. Uh, not just that um, we combine the world's mythologies, uh, but even with our use of the Celtic Tree of Life. Oh, yes. Um, mm, yes. Yeah. I, I noticed that um, you guys have, have taken that on as your... As, as like the symbol of of your universe. Now we use it. Um, that's our that's our world tree, you know, and that's also the symbol for the white druid. But uh, as taking it as a as a as the central symbol of your universe, I, I gotta imagine Celtic myths is got to be a huge part of the 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 world. It definitely is. Um, um, I myself am, you know. Oh, Brett is of course, obviously as well, and he could speak a lot. He could speak to this very, very strongly in his own right, so I won't put words in his mouth, but I <clears throat> am fascinated with uh, Celtic, with Nordic, with um, with all these ancient Western uh, mythologies because of, you know, there wasn't a, a strong written tradition to them. So a lot of them, a lot of them, you know, have changed over the years. A lot of it was oral, you know, um, but uh, as, as my friends were want to say like Norse mythology is burly and that's why I love it. It's just, it's just so much fun and there's so much crazy stuff going on there and it's just a beautiful mythology and Celtic, you know, I'm 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 Irish and Scottish, so naturally I have a natural affinity to that. Um my family calls me Captain Redbeard because I have a red beard, you know, that kind of thing. And um <clears throat> so I've always uh, had a natural affinity for this sort of thing because you know, it's it's my heritage. So Mm -hmm. um and it's not only that it's it's i think it's objectively beautiful um celtic knots celtic uh the gaelic language and all this sort of thing and that's why um that's why we uh, make the primary um you know artistic motif of a lot of our symbolism a lot of our iconography is is celtic um like our, our main uh tree like you mentioned um is the symbol of the first father um uh, in the mythoverse, there were two gods initially. Uh, the the Void Father came first, and when he realized that he couldn't have a thought without existing, he gave birth to the First Father. Um, and this that's a whole other story. Uh, and the First Father's uh, is represented by that Celtic tree, and the the Void Father has sort of a uh, a decaying version of that tree as his uh, as his emblem. I think uh, therefore I am. That's that's a really great uh, way to yep. go with it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was going to say, is how long were you planning uh, for the Mythiverse to continue? I mean, is this something you have a finite ending in mind for each of your characters, or do you want to continue for as long as you have ideas for them, or you know, how do you have it worked out? Well, I can only speak for myself. Adobe has an absolute uh, brick wall ending to her story that will, you know, put um, kind of put the Mythiverse into a new state. And a lot of our um, a lot of uh, our our creators are actively working on developing ideas for the post Adobe Kruger era, if you if you want to call it that. Um, but yeah, Adobe definitely has a, a solid ending. Um, I know that um, Brett and Matt have also discussed where their character stories are going to go. But as far as I know, I'm the only uh, creator with a with a character that has a definite. Uh, shelf life if you will and uh in the mythiverse um once our character is dead it the character isn't coming back <laughs> there will be no uh there'll be no revivals she's dead she's gone her story's told 
let's make some new characters. That's our philosophy. So, yeah, I do something similar with the Blitzer, yeah. so I can totally yeah. understand where you're coming from with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dead means dead thing has really gotten ridiculous in comics. So I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Now, is there anything uh, you want to talk about that you haven't already discussed that's coming up or any other projects you want to promote or anything that um, you really want to talk about that we haven't discussed already? Um, no, I think we've done a fairly good job of covering all of it. Um, but um, one thing I do want to mention is um, not everything is magical in the Mythiverse. Uh, we actually, our latest title, Triple Crown, does take place in the Mythiverse, and it's about an ordinary person. Uh, she's just, uh, she just happens to be living in this in this magical universe, and uh, we've established that she is our first in-universe celebrity character. Uh, skip skip sparks so she will be making um cameos on posters on t-shirts etc and and in our titles moving forward and uh, that title kind of stemmed kind of like a it was basically whimsy on my part i'm a huge race fan uh of all kinds i love indycar formula one nascar uh endurance racing and um it's always been a huge passion of mine and naturally um I'm a fan of all kinds of manga. Um, one of one of them was a was of course One Piece. Like who doesn't love One Piece? So I like started thinking to myself like, what if I took that idea of a character like Monkey D. Luffy, an idealistic, yeah. uh, adventurous person who's chasing a goal, and just bring that into the modern world? What would it be? And I say, well, I like racing. Let's make it a a young person who's chasing the treasure of racing. It would be the treasure of racing. It would be the triple crown of motorsport. So um, that's how that all got started. And um, I basically just put out feelers saying, "Can anyone draw cars really well?" You know. And I found this 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 marvelous uh, artist from Mexico named Darian, um, who just completely blew me away. And um, uh, makes me happy to be able to do this because you know, as a race fan, I've always wanted to um, pay tribute to you know the icons of the sport. Um, of all kinds in the history of the sport and let's just face it it's the most exciting thing next to heaven Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you're a fan it's hard to beat it Mm -hmm. so that's kind of it's kind of my reward to myself for my hard work is being able to put that story out um and it's going to be part of a uh of a this is one of the reason i really want to talk about this um the creator of rags uh brian ball and i Mm. have been collaborating uh, to create an American um, anthology series, American manga-themed uh, anthology series called American Hops, and um, it's mm. it's gotten it's gone through some delays um, uh, because of some issues we had with uh, one of the stories, but um, it's uh, nearly ready, and he will probably be launching a Kickstarter campaign for it soon, and Triple Crown will feature in it. So I'll definitely will keep everyone uh, posted when that is ready to go. Wow, that uh, you, you got you got a lot really going on, man. Uh, I mm-hmm. I'm I'm in I'm impressed with what you got going. It sounds pretty cool. Thank you. Hopefully it'll work. I want to say, yeah, I want to <laughs> say thank you for being our our very first guest on our new Creator Spotlight series. Um, it was great having you on with us. Uh, likewise, it was an honor, and I looking forward to hear more uh, creator spotlights you guys are fantastic all right awesome um thank you listeners for joining us as well and uh we'll see you in december for our second creator spotlight with fellow wicked crew member scott kitchman of wrath oh i love that guy and i love his book <laughs> mm.
Yeah, yeah. We just recently backed his uh, his uh, third uh, chapter three there of Wrath. Nice. Yeah, you're going to love it if you haven't seen it. Folks, go back that book. All right. We'll see you next time. I hope you've had fun hanging out with us today on ORP. I know that Steve and I have had fun making this episode. If you've had fun too, we invite you to share this episode and help us get the word out. For our Spotify listeners, we ask you to please rate our show as well. That can really help to grow our audience. But to all our listeners everywhere, we want to say thank you for listening and we'll see you in two weeks.